I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. How are you this evening? Wait, let me sip my coffee so you can see how I am. (laughs) Of course, Dr. Manning is representing the illustrious Tuskegee University, her coffee mug. Yes, y'all, I'm I'm drinking out of my illustrious Tuskegee University mug because Operation Fifth Gen, hallelujah, is a thing that has what? Come to be a reality. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. My son is going to be a fifth generation (laughs) matriculant at the matchless historic Tuskegee University, the pride of the swift growing South. Wow. Because we did not see this coming. We did not. Our son was very much set on another very, very impressive and great HBCU, but he made his decision and um, he worked very, very hard in his junior and senior year to date and in preparing his application. And you know what? He got a, he got a full tuition merit scholarship. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. Well, yeah. I mean, in full disclosure, y'all, I already knew this. So this <laughs> I like how you reacting like you didn't. I know. <laughs> You're so honest. You're so honest. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Let them know. I am very bad at lying. So it's <laughs> easier for me to just be honest, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm extremely proud of your son and particularly proud of you and the family. I know that this is a big deal to have a fifth generation student coming through and, you know, considering, you know, your dad and everything, it's just, Mm -hmm, it's really mm -hmm. special. It is super special. And, you know, as I think about some of my professional missions, um, one of my professional missions has really been trying to use my platform to redefine how people use the word Tuskegee in the medical community. Uh, You know, after being at uh, Tuskegee and Meharry, it wasn't until I got to residency that I realized that the whole rest of the world thought of Tuskegee as synonymous with, you know, that horrific untreated syphilis study. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Because (laughs) my great grandmother went to Tuskegee. My grandparents met at Tuskegee. My parents met at Tuskegee. I'm one of four. We all went to Tuskegee. And my son is going to Tuskegee. Tuskegee is a place of black excellence. Mm. It happens to be in Macon County. And Macon County is the county in which Some people made some unfortunate choices and decided to, you know, do harm to people in the name of what they thought was scientific discovery. Hmm. But um, can I just ask if somebody is listening to this, please, please do not refer to that as the Tuskegee study. I am the Tuskegee study. (laughs) I, I am the Tuskegee study. And guess what? The outcomes are positive. Yes. And guess what? The study is ongoing and it ain't nothing about it that is, um, unethical, like, <laughs> like the untreated syphilis study. So just put some respect on the name of my school. Amen. Well, I'll okay. sign that. Yeah. So, um, girl, 
Mahalia is a whole entire vibe over there. Mm. I mean, she is giving me crochet sewing. (laughs) (laughs) And look, if you if you culturally don't know what that means, it means that her hair looks so perfect that it either looks like it's a wig or it looks like she has sewn hair in. (laughs) Is that I personally think there is no greater compliment to me than for a Black woman to ask or assume that your natural hair is fake for that exact same reason. So I'm here for it. I'm very proud of Mahalia. I did this last twist out, I think over MLK weekend. Wow. Which felt very fitting because, uh-huh. you know, I have to admit. <laughs> service. It was service. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It was in service to myself and all Black women. Yes. But in particular, I think it. Um, I was actually at a church service and I was reminded of the anecdote, which, you know, for a long time, I didn't know this uh, about Mahalia Jackson being at the March on Washington and encouraging those famous lines about the, you know, having a dream, which apparently, you know, MLK was not uh, about to include, mm-hmm. but she, she prompted him. And now, you know, those are the words that we see plastered everywhere. And so mm-hmm. in her honor and his honor, you know, this is, this is what this twist out's for. Yes. Yes. And I believe she, I believe she sang at his, uh, at his funeral. At his funeral. Too. Yes. Precious Lord, take my hand. Oh, oh Lord. That yeah. woman. Mm-hmm. That woman, ooh, honey, her her lower register could not even be messed with. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm listen, saying. y'all, you need to Google Mahalia Jackson and just listen to her sing at that. I mean, she just yeah, you know, yep. You know what? I I feel like this is feeling like Groundhog Day. <laughs> um, but I well, let me t- say this: I have dichotomous feelings right now. Mm-hmm. Specifically, my heart is um with the the east asian community mm-hmm. people are celebrating the lunar new year i have loved every single picture of every single baby and child holding their little red envelopes and their little outfits it's so cute but also as we know there was another mass shooting um, that occurred in california and what i learned is that when things happen you you need diverse communities because you need to actually talk to people to culturally get a sense of what kind of support is affirming Mm, can you repeat that one more time we need diverse environments so that we have people that we can tap into when these things happen to find out what kind of support is affirming yeah right Mm-hmm. So there, there are people that I work with and that I love who are Chinese or Taiwanese and um, from, from totally different cultures than my own and how their culture responds to something like this and what feels affirming to them might be very different than what I would have needed um, when Mr. George Floyd was murdered, right? Mm-hmm. I had one of my colleagues tell me that there is a lot culturally that's just hard about this you know Mm -hmm. the assailant was from the community was an elder but also there are even um beliefs around and superstitions around people talking about tragedy around the lunar new year and Mm -hmm. people don't like that you know I have to say, I, I am, I'm am i more just thinking about the community and, and trying to be culturally humble, you know, thinking about what I say and uh, what I don't say. I just think we got to stop thinking that one size fits all. And when something happens, you know, 
we need to go and talk to each other. That word is so important, you know, particularly for folks who work in academia. I know there's a lot of hand wringing that goes on and it's in these times that the absence of diversity really rears its head when when folks need support, but it's not always coming through in the way that's appropriate. You know, the nerd in me is just like, you know what, this is going to be the next workshop I submit to an academic <laughs> meeting, which is what do we do with this moral distress? And yeah. then that's, that's legit it. And helping medical educators and people in our community figure out affirming ways to work through our moral distress without creating new distress for, for the people that we are supposed to be caring for. Well, I would attend that workshop as one who <laughs> hates attending workshops. Let me be the first to sign up for that one. That's right. Sure. Let me, uh, we might have to bring um, Mahalia Jackson in the background. <laughs> yeah. They might need some gospel music. <laughs> Well, y'all, it's been, gosh, two weeks. And, you know, I have to continue to admit that I'm not going to be able to, to hype you up and do the same types of intros <laughs> that you do for me. I am sorry for that disparity, but I just have to own who I am, my strengths as well as some limitations and just hope that, you know, the love and the excitement and the anticipation still comes through, even though I can't freestyle or you know, <laughs> do some of the stuff that you do for me. But I am deeply humbled to be in your presence virtually and to be the first to hear this incredible story, which I have not heard before. That's right. It's true. <laughs> it is true. I haven't heard it before either. <laughs> Not out loud. <laughs> oh man! Oh Lord! <laughs> well, sis, let's let's start by figuring out uh, what's the what for this episode. The what today is boundaries. Ooh! Wow! Come on, somebody! Come on now! <laughs> you know, and I will say, you know, as y'all know, you know, me, me and Ashley, we will read the Bible, <laughs> um, and I ran across a scripture that said. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Ooh, it's a whole scripture. Wow. Matthew 5 and 37. Yep. The, the fancier version says it different, but that's the gist of it. But <laughs> all right. So yeah. I am actually going to take you back probably only like two years. Um, mm. We were in the pandemic and I know for absolute sure this is something that, uh, that you will relate to and a lot of people will relate to. Um, but our stories that we tell are often from the perspective of our identity. And my identity is as a black American woman who works um, at a safety net hospital, Grady Hospital. We were in the pandemic and uh, I had, I opened up social media one day and just so happened that I looked at this, this post on social media and it was this woman, I mean, it was actually within my sorority. It was my sorority group, a Delta group. And she was frantic because um, her daughter, who was a college student here somewhere, um, had gotten sick with COVID and had been admitted to the hospital. Mm. My sorority sister, who had made the post, and it was not somebody that I personally knew, I just saw this, was was just like, I'm so frantic. I, they won't let me see her. I've driven to Atlanta and I can't, you know, there are no visitors. There's no, I'm so worried. Mm. And of course, you know, me having Grady in every one of my handles, people start tagging me. Grady, Grady, Grady. What about Kimberly Manning? 
I mean, obviously the easy thing to do is to be like, okay, obviously for privacy reasons, we can't just be rolling up on people in the hospital saying, hello, I heard of you through social media. You all right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so I just kind of stayed quiet, but something about the panic in the way that she wrote that message, it, it, it convicted me. And I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that I was on the hospital service. And this was like on a Friday night or something that I read this. But I had to go back to the hospital for something. And I was just like, man, you know what? I, I, I'm going to just listen to my spirit. As my friends and many people know, I, don't, I do not use Facebook Messenger at all because it is, it is the land of asks, <laughs> right? But I actually messaged the woman and was like, listen, I usually do not use Messenger, but I work at Grady Hospital. If your daughter can consent and can speak, tell her that one of your sorority sisters works here. And if she would authorize me to come and see her, I will come see her. And she was so grateful and was like, oh my gosh, of course, yes. Her daughter was like, oh, I would love for somebody to come see me. Oh my gosh, yes. I was like, cool. So I come to the hospital, I'm doing whatever I had to do. And on my way out, I go down and I put on PPE and go in here and I see her, see her daughter. I didn't open the chart or anything. I just went and saw her. And, you know, she was had an oxygen requirement, but she wasn't one of the really, really sick people. She didn't look like she was on her way to the ICU. She looked okay. You know, I took my phone out and with her permission, recorded her saying something to her mom and made sure that her mom knew that she was okay. I was like, you know, you look okay. You know, I can't open your chart up, but you know, from what I see here, she didn't have any underlying medical problems. So there. So I, I leave and now this woman has my phone number. So she reached out to me the next day and was like, hey, my daughter has a headache and nobody has come to give her anything for a headache. They gave her some Tylenol, but you know, and I said, well, I do know the team that's taking care of her. I can touch base with the team. But what I told you I would do is I would lay eyes on your daughter and tell you if she looked okay. I'll even stop by again and see her today before I leave. But it looks like things are going in the right direction. Okay. So she messages me again and says something to me about like her daughter being cold and they don't have enough blankets in Grady and how, you know, she doesn't eat pork and they sent her a tray that had bacon on it. And I was like, I'm really sorry that you're experiencing that. I would be frustrated too. you know, bring that up with the team. When you talk to them, I'm taking care of a whole bunch of sick people right now. So I can't give you the attention that you need. So then she messages me a few more times and I just ignore it. So I think it was like maybe the second day, but we probably 10 messages in now. She sends me a message and it is firm. And it's like, so you basically just abandoning me, just like I'm your sorority sister and this is how you're going to do me, you know, basically going in on me saying that I, she said, oh, I know what the term was she used. You just gonna ghost me and I can't come see my child. You know, I was exhausted. This was in the height of the pandemic. I was tired as hell. And that was when we were like putting on PPE was like really scary. You know, you'd be putting it on, you'd be hoping your goggles were on tight enough. You'd be hoping something didn't get your stethoscope didn't touch the wrong thing. And I'm like, you know, when I stepped in that room and saw your daughter, I risked my life, you know, for all we knew, you know, I took my phone out, I called her, and I dressed her all the way down. Now, 
there 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 is a, a term that is used uh, when people are really angry in the black community i'm gonna censor it <laughs> and say you got me messed up <laughs> and i didn't censor it when i talked to her mm-hmm. i said i didn't have to call you i didn't have to do nothing for you i really like I, I really was listening to my spirit and i just hated the thought of you being worried about your daughter and what i told you i would do is i would look at her for you and and, and make sure everything was okay and I, and I did, and I talked to the teams, but you know, that was not personal. That woman was worried. She could not see her child and she wanted her child to be comfortable and anything that threatened her child's comfort. She didn't know who else to call. And she had my number and she thought I was somebody who could do something about it. However, it violated my own personal boundaries. But the problem is that I opened the door for her to cross into my space. I let this stranger have my phone number. And listen, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Deltas. Every one of them should not have my personal cell phone number and I shouldn't have theirs, right? Um, So it doesn't take anything away from my commitment to the sisterhood or anything, but this was not a good self-care move for me. And I knew then I gotta do something different when Mm -hmm. it comes to my personal boundaries and I have got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away and know when to run. I don't know if I would have done it differently. I think I probably would have still listened to my spirit. I felt like it was a discerning feeling that I had and I should have, I should have done what I did. Mm-hmm. But the very first time she reached out to me and asked me something about like the food or something like that, I probably should have called her because I wasn't mm-hmm. mad then. I, I should have let her know that. I will not be able to take any more phone calls and I hope everything is okay, but that this is a hospital that turns no one away and we always have not enough divided by too much. (laughs) And sometimes that means you might not have a tray that's perfect Mm. or you might not have two blankets instead of one. And I wasn't proud of the way that I went off on her because I know that she was hurting. Mm -hmm. But what I can say I do differently since then, and and sometimes I'm sure it makes me look like I'm not the nicest person in the world, is I I shut stuff down. Yeah, I I see this happens to me all the time where people reach out to me and they're like, my granddaddy's neighbor's nanny, his son was in a car accident and is at Grady and I'm reaching out to you. And now I've just started to say, hey, you know what? What I can do is I can join in the people who are praying for and and offering well wishes for a full recovery to your grandfather's neighbor's nanny's son. (sighs) But for my wellness, I will not be able to um, get involved. But, you know, I know that in times like this, you just reach out to who you know. And I wish I could respond to every person who reaches out to me, but I can't. Yeah. And people are actually super understanding. Yep. I just haven't, haven't given them credit for that. I have a lot of thoughts, <laughs> but I'm going to start with a question. When you did let that woman know exactly what she needed to know, <laughs> was that the end of the conversation? No. So I was so mad and so tired that she she immediately recoiled and r- realized that she was wrong mm-hmm. and began sending me a series of fairly verbose apologetic texts. Mm. Mm-hmm. The problem is that I did not have a personal relationship with this woman yes. outside of the fact that we share the same sorority. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't want a relationship with her. Yeah. And so my responses were, 
it's all good. It's okay. I'm fine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I pray your daughter continues to recover, um, take good care. But I realized that she never really got the closure that she was looking for from me. Mm-hmm. But for my, before my wellness, mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't give that. I couldn't give that to her. And you know what? I, I feel like, you know, I'm sure somebody listening to this who is not black is like, oh my gosh, that has happened to me too. But for black people, so many of us are the first doctor in the family that we are the doctor in the family for everybody that knows us. Mm-hmm. Everybody that knows us. And part of us feels like, speaking of the moral distress we were talking about before, you feel like maybe like by design, you know, I was asked to be do this at, for a time such as this. Yes. But I got to take care of me. You know, as I'm learning more and more about myself, which is still a very active and ongoing process, I recognize what it does to me when I feel what I perceive to be the weight of other people's expectations. And when I'm not meeting those expectations, it makes me feel really, really terrible. Mm-hmm. I've gotten better about saying no in certain contexts, more out of the understanding that you're not doing other people favors by agreeing to show up when you know you don't have enough to show up. Like it can actively make things worse almost all the time if you're not honest with them and yourself rather than trying to, you know, cram through a project or a responsibility and end up hurting yourself or hurting the relationship in the process. You know, one of the things we do really well on this podcast is we unpack um, our shortcomings. Mm. And this was in the height of the whole, like, you're a hero. We love you, healthcare workers. <laughs> and the day I saw her daughter, the very next day, she posted to um, social media that, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. Our soror came through. She mm-hmm. saw my daughter. My, I'm so, I'm so, I feel so much better. Blah blah blah. And then of course, after that comes like five bazillion affirming comments. Right? Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I know her personally. I knew, and I was like, you know, that felt good. Yeah. Right. That felt good. Um, but, I, you know, <laughs> and I, and so I, 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 don't, I still don't know. Um, whether or not my level of engagement or how much I did mm-hmm. um, was was fueled by some of that. I will say my initial agreement to check on her daughter was because I felt like it was like in my spirit to go and see her daughter. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think we also have to be careful about pride, about, you know, mm-hmm. getting a star of approval yeah. and you're the doctor that we love and <laughs> you're the one who we're so proud of, you know. I just think we got to be really, really careful with that. Um, mm. And so some of the simple boundaries that I that I set, some of this, you know, now, but um, but it bears repeating to our audience. Um, so one is I, I, I do not um, use um, any social media messengers. I do not let people have ac- direct access to me through a direct message unless unless I have given them that. If I receive an email from somebody and it's a cold call email asking me to do something, and especially if it's not in some official capacity, I have created for myself um, a Word document that is a whole set of thoughtful ways to say no. And it has literally about 20 different permutations of ways to decline something. Um, That way I'm not using up my cognitive and emotional energy trying to figure out how to tell you no. 
And I probably open that Word document two times every week, which is crazy. That lets you know how many times I need to be saying no. But like that scripture said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And if my no is a no, oh, my yeses can be all the way, all the way on and popping. Best advice I got from a really, a really trusted mentor. She was like, if your yes is not a hell yes, that means it's a no. Oof. That's a word. Mm -hmm. That's a word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of a luxury. Mm -hmm. to be able to to do that, right? Because earlier in your career, you may not be able to, or you may not know what what should be a hell yes. But yeah, if it's going to be burdensome, it, it just might not be for you. But I, you know, I think this is a practice, again, couching it within the context of self-compassion and self-care and not, you know, feeling like you're not enough. You just, you know, you can't, you can't pour out from an empty cup. And you you got to save something for you. You got to save something for you. Yeah. And, you know, my husband has this saying. He always says, everybody can't go. <laughs> everybody can't go. You know, he, he'll just say that kind of like and just walk away. <laughs> and, it, and it's similar to like if you got a car and the car got, you know, so many seats in it and mm -hmm. you got more people than can fit in the car, everybody can't go. Yeah. But our lives and our capacity to do stuff is like that car mm. and everybody just can't go. And it doesn't mean it's anything wrong with the people that can't go. That means relationships too. He often says that in the yes. context of yes. relationships of people that, you know, it is, it is their season in your life has ended. Everybody can't go. <laughs> <laughs> everybody can't go with you to, you know, do all the things that you need to do. And everybody can't have access to you. Even if, there is urgency in what they are dealing with. Even if they are hurting, mm. you just cannot take on, like, I, I can't take on everybody's, everybody's pain. I can't. Yeah. I yes. can't. I want to. I do want to. But I can't. I can't. Mm. I can't do that. Yeah. Um, not, not and still have something left for me. Nah. Absolutely. Well, I know this is a topic that I could spend literally all day talking to you about, but I know we both got stuff coming up. Um, I don't have nearly even a fraction of the same amount of requests and obligations as Dr. Manning, but I still want a copy of those phrases that you used to say no. So please do send those my way. <laughs> I know, but now people are going to be like, you know what? I feel like I got one of those. <laughs> But but I wrote it myself and I mm -hmm. thought about it at a time when I wasn't under duress. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not, it's not fake. Yeah. Um, it's just not, it just doesn't take as long because if you write it when you're not, a, you know, feeling pressure. Mm -hmm. um, oh, that needs to be another workshop. <laughs> Writing your no file. Regrets for every occasion. That's what the file is called. I'll be in that workshop too. <laughs> All right, sis. Well, I sure do love you. You know, I'm glad that you set a boundary last week mm. and gave us a bye week because you had a lot of things to do professionally. Yes. Shout out to you. Thank you. And thank you for taking that and reacting so lovingly. So yep. again, putting it all in practice. That's right. That's right. Well, love you too, sis. And I all hope right. that the rest of your day is as spectacular as you are. Operation Fifth Gen, baby. Life is good.
That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.